Uh, welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, BK, and alongside me this week, uh, we have uh, Wick Terrell. Wick, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Good, good. And uh, joining us for the his second podcast, uh, he uh, did an admirable job filling in for me when uh, I was gone, and uh, so we decided to uh, invite him back to talk Reds again. It's uh, our old buddy Derek Grimes. Derek, what's up? Hey guys, um, I want to start off by saying farewell to all of the new listeners that you might have got when you had Grant Br- Brisby on the show. <laughs> yeah, they're like, That's oh, you know, this podcast gets really cool guests, and then all of a sudden they tune in and they're like, who the f- is Derek Grimes? So, <laughs> Grimey over there walking around in giant Ronald McDonald shoes right now, just trying to fill them left and right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's true. Is, is, do you think Grant is our biggest guest so far, as far as like a, a wide reach goes? Probably, right? And so, yeah, here, here, Trent. I guess. I mean, depending upon how many uh, uh, age. It depends 47. on what you're, what you're do, looking do, for, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> our, de- our demographic. Depending on, depending on how many uh, over age forty eight people that remember Chris Welsh, the professional baseball pitcher. Uh, versus oh, yeah. just the Reds broadcaster, that, that that might be a larger audience. But I get the slight impression that's probably not our target market. So, no. uh, yeah, it's pro- probably Brisby. I would say yeah. Brisby. Despite despite the Facebook comments. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. <laughs> Quite <Sorry>. true. <laughs> yeah, target market there is much different. Yeah, and I, actually, speaking of our buddy Chris Welsh, uh, I was uh, visiting my – we're recording this on the off day uh, after Mother's Day, and so uh, – was visiting my my grandma yesterday. She's a big Reds fan. watches watches every game, and uh, I was I was just kind of casually mentioning like, oh yeah, uh, there's uh, my my buddy Chris Welsh. She was very unimpressed. <laughs> Could not have cared less. She was like, oh what oh whatever yeah. So uh, yeah, we we have uh, we have not made it as they say. But we, lo- but, but we love you. Love you, Chris Welsh. You're the best, and we yeah. can't wait to talk again later on this year uh, too. So, selfishly, yeah, we, we need to actually we need to have Chris back at some point soon. I yeah, think. but uh, but we don't this week. We just have uh, the three Red Reporter guys, and we're just going to talk about Reds baseball. Can just kind of catch up a little bit. Um, you know, we've and actually kind of the thought behind this episode to me kind of comes from the the 18 game capsules we've been doing on Red Reporter where. We just kind of break down 18 games at a time, and that's that's one of my favorite things on on the site throughout the year, just to kind of get that bird's eye view back. And um, looking back, we're one ninth of the way through the season, so uh, we might as well kind of take a look and see where everything is. I don't think we've really taken a taken a look at where the rest of the division is yet, so I want to get to that today. And uh, just kind of talk about uh, how things have been going. So um, as we speak right now, the Reds are in the middle of a road trip. Uh, They just lost three of four in San Francisco and now get to go to Chicago to play the Cubs. So um, thoughts on how this kind of up and down may, I feel like, so far, you know, they... The Reds were the hottest team in baseball the first week and a half or so of May, and then uh, they dropped three in a row out of the that uh, road trip. Let's just get kind of initial thoughts on on the road trip. Yeah, the road trip. I mean, I, I feel like you know losing three out of four to the San Francisco Giants 
while in San Francisco, uh, just in a vacuum is not a bad thing to have happen. Obviously, they've played extremely well in AT&T Park over the years, and they've won God knows how many games and series, both in regular season and postseason. So on the surface, mm-hmm. that's not that bad. You factor in the fact that they won the first game, and that put them at 5-0 and on the season series against them, I think, at that point, or 4-0 and in the season series against them at that point. And uh, you knew that the Giants weren't going to get swept in a season series by the Reds. Uh, that just wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, after the initial game of that four-game set, uh, you kind of felt like the Giants were going to win a game or two, and they did, and they did so by a run twice, I guess, uh, in low-scoring games. The Reds had chances. I think they were 0 for, uh, 0 for 18 with runners in scoring position in the 17-inning loss. Um, mm-hmm. And then on and then on Sunday, obviously, losing your starting pitcher in the first inning to an, uh, to neck tightness that probably helped factor in him giving up four earned runs in that first inning. Um, that's – that's one of those games you kind of have to just throw out because that you know it's an injury issue that throws everything into flux. So it it was disappointing, but at the same point in time, I think they they faced a, a a Giants team that is better than their record suggests. Uh, they got Brandon Crawford back. Uh, that had Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarjo, who are the, you know their best pitchers, non Madison Bumgarner uh, 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 level. Uh, pitching against him. They showed themselves well. They didn't win very well, uh, but they showed mm. themselves well given the circumstances. And given uh, given the fact those teams had faced each other so often in like the 10-day window, uh, you know the Giants were itching to get, get a little bit of revenge. Uh, and it certainly seemed like they got that. But there was nothing about that road trip that looked uh, uh, bad and or telling to me. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice to, to, to snag one of those wins, preferably the, uh, the 17 inning one that lasted until about four o'clock in the morning that I was up writing about. Um, it would have been nice to like, just put an exclamation mark at the end of that and hit publish. Uh, so that was kind of a bummer, but the rest of it, you know, that's, that's why the baseball season is 162 games long because you're going to have, you know, a couple game stretches like that where you play well and you still just find a way to lose. Right. Yeah, I I want to talk about that seven game or the seventeen inning game for just a second. I stayed up and watched the entire thing, and oh, the life man. of me not figure out why. <laughs> I mean, there was it was. I mean, I guess at a certain point, I think it was probably like the you know because it didn't start until ten p.m. Eastern time anyway. So even a nine inning game is is running late. So by the the twelfth or thirteenth inning, it's like okay, I'm going to turn in and then. As I kept pushing it off, at a certain point, you're just kind of like, "All right, well, I got to see this to the end." Like, I don't care if it goes until seven a.m. Like, this is we're, we're too far into it. I've I've invested too much time into this particular, but it was not particularly compelling. I mean, it was, it you was know, zeros it was, across yeah, the board, so zeros left and right. That that that's part of the reason why I didn't fall asleep is because I had ninety eight percent of the recap written in the seventh inning because nothing happened for ten innings. I told myself, I was like, I can't fall asleep on this one because literally it needs two words to hit done. Like something's <laughs> got to happen eventually. Like it wasn't like they were scoring back-to-back two-run homers and matching each other. There was no drama. There was no intrigue. It was just, ah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to the 16th inning and you're like, okay, I can't miss Joey Votto pitching in this game. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of what it kept it up for me a little bit. It was just like something – if this goes on another inning or two, this is something – Something I don't want to miss is going to happen. <clears throat> yeah. But I think the yeah. series in general, I mean, it didn't end well for the Reds, obviously, but it brings back, I, I don't know, it brings back a little bit of realism to the season. Um, you know, if they go into San Francisco, uh, you know, after the 
the five in a row stretch that they had in like seven out of uh, they won like seven out of eight and then if they would have went into San Francisco then won those first I mean even if they got the first two games for a split I mean we're thinking all right like the Reds are for real so and that's not to say they're not but it, it just it kind of injects a little bit of realism back into 2017 you know saying like okay this is this is a team that got beat, you know, three out of four games by another last place team, which will happen to good teams as well. But it's just kind of a reminder, like, we're still dealing with the 2017 Reds and not, you know, the 2012 Reds. Right. And I, I think when you, when you break down kind of what happened in a 17-inning game and losing the way that they did, it's like, you know, I think the Reds kind of had some breaks happen in the over the first month and a half of the season to where – maybe they would have gotten the luck of being on the winning side of that previously. And then, you know, it just kind of finally evened out on them and, you know, they, they got the gut punch this time. So, you know, I, I think uh, Mo Egger uh, wrote something about this at that today that, you know, the Reds aren't as good as we thought. They're also not as bad as they looked in the past couple games. So, yeah, I think it's it's all about tempering our expectations. It's still a long season. There's still a lot a lot of baseball left to be played. Um, you know, it's it stinks to lose to a team that you just swept at home. But you know, it's uh, and especially the way that they swept them. I mean, scoring what they scored. Almost thirty runs in in three games. At I, home. I think I think it was thir- thirty one to five. The thirty one, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> in that in that series at Great American, and you know, as, as you said, Wick, they but we didn't see Jeff Samarja in that series, and you know, we didn't see Matt Moore in that series. So it's like, you know, it really you have to just kind of take these one series at a time. And I, yeah, I don't think that we should be overreacting to this, but maybe. Maybe we should be just kind of taking it taking it as it is right now. Yeah, I think if you if you looked up uh, in in March in mid spring training, especially after hearing the news on Anthony Scafani and on Homer Bailey, and said, "Hey, you know, thirty seven games in, the Reds have allowed one hundred and seventy runs. The Chicago Cubs yeah. have allowed one hundred and seventy runs. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds have scored one hundred and eighty one runs, while the Chicago Cubs have scored one seventy two. I, I think there's nobody on the planet who is actually have any, you know, either statistical uh, analysis about the 2017 Reds or just a rational fandom uh, would mm. have said no to that scenario uh, back in March. And this is fresh off a three-game losing streak that I'm calling these numbers on. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, from 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 just a uh, a pre-2017 perspective about where this team would be right now, everybody would take it. Uh, from a post-first two weeks perspective, if you still told everybody, you know, eight games into this year, that the Reds are going to be 19 and 18 ahead of the Chicago Cubs in the standings, heading into a three-game set at Wrigley Field, uh, having a better run differential than those Chicago Cubs, I mm-hmm. think everybody on the planet would take that right now. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, for, from a... From a, a, a no expectation perspective, obviously they've exceeded expectations. Uh, but from a, even a moderate expectation perspective, given what they did to start the season, the fact they've maintained it for another 30 games or so, uh, while they haven't stayed in first place and shot off to a 110 win uh, uh, rate like they initially looked like, 
you should still be pretty excited with what the Reds have put on the field so far this year. Uh, and then you factor in how awful the starting pitching has been in large part because of the injuries they've faced. And uh, uh, it, it kind of shows – uh, what's the what's the best way to describe it? It goes to emphasize how well certain aspects of the Reds uh, roster has performed so far. Um, their mm-hmm. offense has hit fantastically. Their defense is uh, incomparable at this point. And the bullpen, despite being tasked with uh, almost impossible uh, innings at this point, given how bad the starting rotation has been, has knock on wood still managed to hold up so far. So, you know, coming out of San Francisco, it's 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 fr- uh, a bit frustrating to see them on a three-game losing streak. But again, uh, the way they've been playing, um, I, I I think is something that you can not just be happy about right now, uh, but be happy looking forward uh, as kind of a a baseline for. It. Sure, and I, uh, we're I mean, it's as we record this, it's May fifteenth, and the Reds are one game over five hundred. And to your point, I think if we'd have been talking about this and um, spring training, you know, how long, how long will the Reds make into the season being over 500? I don't know that any of us would have necessarily picked May 15th as, as that point. <clears throat> and with the series going into, you know, Wrigley field against the defending champions. So it's definitely exciting and it's definitely nice that we have something compelling to watch even, you know, and even if it's one ninth through the season or one eighth of the season or whatever we said earlier, mm-hmm. This is a fun team, and even if they, you know, go on on a, you know, fairly significant, like through this road trip, a a losing streak, I mean, there's still things about this team that will be fun. If they lose to the Cubs, it's probably because they gave up 13 runs in one game that, you know, Bronson Arroyo's arm fell off. But that doesn't mean that Joey Votto isn't still OPSing like, 1200 or whatever he is like this is this is fun team so and that's all we could ask for going into 2017 yeah and just because round numbers are so fun they're not they're they're 19 and 18 this year uh they finished 36 and 37 last year uh after the all-star breaks which means that's 110 games and they are 55 and 55 in the last 110 games um that's that's competitive baseball. That's obviously not make the playoffs baseball. That's not um, get irrationally excited about baseball. Uh, but if you look up at how teams that are in that you can win 500 or play 500 baseball range, you look at where the Reds payroll is, what their max payroll has been in years past. And you look at the fact that they haven't actively gone out and tried to make big league additions in so goddamn long. Um, for them to be 500 with the core that they put together of young players and still have a window to make a move, the financial flexibility to add a piece, and you, you, you kind of factor it in just beyond 2017, but also how they finished 2016 when they got their bullpen pieces back and guys like Iglesias and Michael Lorenzen. Um, and you can see this is not just flash in the pan uh, uh, we're talking about here. When you get to 110 games of 500 ball, playing with one of the youngest rosters in all of baseball, if not the youngest, especially if you take Bronson Arroyo off the roster, um, uh, that's something that is that that that's that's foundational. That's not fluky. That's not uh, you know, look at the schedule. That's not you played a lot of games at home. That's 110 games against big league 
caliber teams. That's big, big league teams. And there are mm-hmm. 500 of those. And, and you realize you've got $27 million roughly between what their max payrolls were in those 2013, 2014 seasons and where they are now. Uh, and you realize, hey, the Reds don't have to have a 97-win core with what they have. They've got to be good enough to make the front office want to add those pieces to make that next push. And I think the Reds are doing about everything they possibly can to show, hey, we're about at that point. And I think that's the most exciting part about the way that they've started this season, to me, at least. In 2017, going into 2018, and that's not a bad free agent year to – be at that point. Yeah, there's a, a few. <laughs> Woo! Starts yeah, if you're at the point to where, yeah, like we're only a piece or two away, this it's a lot better to be at that point this off this coming off season than this past off season, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, and uh just going back into uh the the rest of the division, I think that that's another thing that we should kind of go into here. Um you're looking at uh, the Reds right now are in third place in the division, but they're only two and a half games back of uh, St. Louis, and the entire division is within six games of each other, which makes it the second closest division in in baseball so far this season. So, um, you know, the Reds are actually going into Chicago with a better record than the defending champion Cubs, which I don't think any of us would have saw coming. Uh, you know. A month or two ago. Yeah, certainly not. I mean, like, when you look up at the Cardinals being 21 and 15 atop the division right now, uh, they got off to what? Like, they, they were they were one in five to start the season, I think, uh, with the Reds, uh, you know, finally winning a series in St. Louis to start that. Uh, and they've suddenly flipped a switch. But you look at their lineup, you look at their starting pitching at the moment. Um, uh, well, <laughs> If you're a Reds fan, if you look at anybody starting in pitching at the moment, you're probably going to be depressed about what the Reds have. But the, I mean, just having five starters. Help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not not having three guys, two of which are you know at what combined seventy five years old. Um, you know, you look at the Cardinals leading the division, and aside from Cardinal Devil Magic, which we've all become incredibly accustomed to, uh, there's nothing about that team. Top to bottom, that is scary. They don't have a a, a nine win guy anchoring their lineup like they did when they had Albert Pools. They don't have a perennial mm-hmm. Cy Young Award winner like they did when Adam Wainwright was eight years younger than he is now. Um, there's nothing about that Cardinals team that really screams uh, that you can't catch them or that the Cubs aren't going to catch them. Um, and then you see the Brewers at 21 and 17. Well, what are the Brewers when they haven't played the Cincinnati Reds? You know, like the Reds right. pitching got mauled by the Brewers. Which obviously, you know, suggests that maybe the two of them don't match up very well together. But when the Brewers haven't played the Reds, they haven't exactly beaten the world in. They're still a rebuilding team that has a lot of flaws. Uh, then you have the Reds, then you have the Cubs, and then you have the Pittsburgh Pirates, who at the start of the season looked like a team, you know, on paper at least, that could still be one of those teams that had made the playoffs like their previous iterations had in years past. Uh, but everything about the Pirates so far this year has gone uh, – uh, poorly, uh, tragically, uh, Jameson Tyon apparently facing testicular cancer. Um, uh, you know, you, you factor that in with Starling Marte getting his 80-game suspension, Andrew McCutcheon continuing to decline. Um, <clears throat> you look at the NL Central and, like, the Reds don't seem like the outlier, the, the red-headed stepchild that is so terrible they shouldn't be part of the division. Um, they seem right in the mix with 
a lot of the other teams that are in there, uh, obviously the Cubs haven't played as well as they should. But Cubs aside, that's that's you know that's four teams that look like they could beat each other up a lot this year uh, with no real clear favorite among them. And I, I feel like for uh, um, you know the fact that that's who the Reds play more often than anybody else, that's the bulk of the rest of their season. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for the Reds to make some waves this year, not just in uh, the win column independently, but also beating up on the teams that they have to face, not just this year, but every year, and kind of making a little bit of a statement. And I think that's kind of exciting to see that you, we actually have a squad to watch this year that's capable of doing that. Yeah, the Cubs are a little bit strange to me. I mean, I, I, lo- I, I mean, the whole season I've kind of been looking at the schedule, or not looking at the schedule, but looking at the Cubs' results. My fiance is a pretty big Cubs fan, which is – kind of awesome because she likes baseball and we watch a lot of baseball, but kind of miserable because it's the Cubs. But, um, you know, we, so I, I see that and I see, I don't know, I guess the entire, like the entire baseball season I've been saying, ah, it's the Cubs. They'll come around. Like, it'll be fine. Like that lineup is too good. You know, they're pitching, like their starting rotation isn't like out of this world. Good with Arietta coming coming back from his Cy Young season, you know, coming down from his Cy Young season, I should say, and, and Lackey and Lester being a year older. But, and then all of a sudden, like I said, we're halfway through May and, and it hasn't happened for him yet. I have a feeling that it will just, like I said, they're too good. They're too young. You know, they can't have this, this many regression candidates after one year. And then I think about, they still have waiting in the wings. They think they just brought up um, Ian Happ. Mm. Um, so, you know, that'll be a shot in the arm, I'm sure. Could so be. They're, they're going to do exactly what they've been doing the last couple of years with guys like Schwarber and, and that. Yeah, like so, a young player, then just rakes. Yeah, <laughs> somebody doesn't perform. They just, you know, fill the, fill the hole with another top, you know, 10, top 20 prospect, and away they go. And on the other hand, they have the assets to still do an Arolis Chapman type deal at the deadline and. You know, this offseason they have unlimited funds basically being in Chicago and being run like that. So I don't know. I, I keep just expecting them to come around, but at a certain point, you get there's a large enough sample that just says, no, this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that we're there yet, obviously. I mean, we're not even June, but I don't know. I think they're interesting to watch going forward just as much as the Cardinals, who I think have kind of exceeded a little bit of, ex- of my expectations in general. Um, I mean, they're eight and two in their last 10. And I think that's just because they lost the one, the first game to the the first or second game to the Cubs. Um, so they've been on a tear. Um, obviously, they're not going to win eight and two out of every ten games. They just don't have the horses to do that. But I expected them to come back a little bit. You know, be be more around where they were last year um, rather than six seven games over five hundred where they are now. The Pirates and on the they're unfortunately. Uh, uh, and and there's a lot of mitigating factors to that. Uh, I think they're kind of butt, to be completely honest <laughs> with you. Like, I, I, and, and it's not my hatred for you know the Pittsburgh Pirates that says that because outside of uh, the Cardinals, they're my least favorite team on the planet. But they're just they just have had too many things go wrong, and they're not they, they had a decent farm system or they have a decent farm system, but they can't plug in Marte's absence. They can't plug in. With McCutcheon playing, you know, like a sub replacement level player, like he's batting, a, he has a 79 OPS plus right now, and 
maybe he turns it around, but this is just kind of a consistent decline that we've seen since 2016. You know, I don't know that he ever gets back at 30 years old and a quote unquote center fielder. I don't know that he ever gets back to an all-star level, you know, player. I, I think Josh Bell's a nice player. I don't think he's and same for Gregory Polanco, but they're not going to, does it seem like at this point they're going to reach their prospect status of being the next great thing, like Marte actually kind of did, um, with Jameson Tyon being out, Glass now having issues like some of the Reds' prospects? I just don't see how they turn it around at this point in the season. Yeah, for the Pirates to really jump back into things, like with 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 no Jung Kung, with no Marte for another X number of games, and definitely no playoffs, even if it does get back and they make everything completely rebound it's it's you know it not to make a one-for-one comparison but it seems like they've got aspects of the 2011 reds with young players that they had that are core pieces that are struggling but they also have a lot of kind of 2014 ish reds too which is teams that that made the playoffs that were on the cusp that seemed to be almost good enough to get over the hump but just didn't and then they're just getting older and then you've got contract issues because you didn't sign any of those guys long term um you know, if they if they locked up Garrett Cole uh, a year or two ago, the way that they locked up uh, Marte, that'd be different. You know, but that's the same as the Reds if they'd locked up Todd Frazier or locked up Johnny Cueto again at those times in 2011, 2012. Uh, the Reds right now would be a different story. But the Pirates, you know, given their payroll constraints, they didn't lock any of those guys up that they really want to have long-term beyond Marte and Polanco. Um, and I, I don't see a whole lot else there that, well, put it this way, given where they operate in a payroll perspective, uh, uh, there's a very, very, very fine line they can walk between trading guys and holding on to guys and or trying to extend them before they get expensive, which is much what the Reds faced as well. And I feel like all of the the uh, uh, surrounding factors that have turned their 2017 into what it is uh, might be enough for them to start trying to sell pieces off. You know, um, they gave Francisco Cervelli uh, not a huge contract, but for a two-year commitment, uh, a big dollar contract extension. Um, they shopped Andrew McCutcheon last winter, but couldn't really find anybody. Um, you know, those two guys are kind of the two guys they have that are making decent amount of money, but they can't afford to wait on them because they'll be out of contract by the time they wait on them. So the Pirates are not just mm-hmm. facing a, a 2017 decision. They're facing a 2018 decision, too, because if if what they have right now locked up isn't enough to get them through this year, if they wait one more year, suddenly they've eliminated their ability to trade either of them. And that's something I think that, that might just end up being what blows up this Pirates team much in the same way that the the Reds got blown up the last two years. And, you know, if that's the case, then you look up and it's the Reds, the Brewers, and the Cardinals uh, kind of chasing the Cubs' coattails at this point. And while the Cardinals are always the Cardinals and always have been the Cardinals, they don't look as quite top-tier imposing as they have been in years past, um, which if you're a Reds – not just a Reds fan, but if you're a Reds player – like you got to see that too, you know. You got to see mm. if you're Zach Cozart playing well, you're Eugenio Suarez breaking out, you're Scott Shevler breaking out potentially. You got to look up and say, "Hey, I'm not playing behind Willie Mays on the other side of the field right now." Like I, I'm as good as those guys are. In theory, that should trickle down a little bit, and I'm excited to see how that kind of plays out. Assuming the Reds can just get a freaking pitcher to stay healthy for like three starts. 
Right. I want to I circle back on um, Andrew McCutcheon just real quick. Um, you know, because you mentioned that they tried to deal him last winter and didn't – wasn't so much that they didn't find takers, but they couldn't find a deal worth doing according to them. But to be a fly on the wall for those negotiations – because as far as the rumors were going, they were getting offers – for I mean, they were getting decent offers. It just wasn't like over the moon offers that they were looking for. Right. Um, and now you know we go. We're into two thousand. You know, we're Andrew McCutcheon is one hundred and fifty three plate appearances into two thousand seventeen, and he is bad. And he's got a triple slash of two twelve, two eighty eight, four hundred one, and it's like. He's going to have to turn that around in a hurry if they plan on getting anything out of it. You know what I mean? Like, if they weren't impressed with the offers that they were getting before, well, you know, let me tell you what the phone calls that they're going to be receiving in July, you know? Yeah. And so, and it's not, and I, I can't say that I blame them. I mean, if I were a Pirates fan or, you know, as being a Reds fan through some of Joey Votto's struggles, like obviously, I would have wanted the moon for Joey Votto too, even at that particular point in time. Even though maybe it wouldn't have, maybe they didn't deserve it, or he didn't deserve it because he was you know, a first baseman only that was had kind of struggled through a couple of different injuries at you know some point or whatever, and being thirty two, thirty three years old. But I just wonder if they're going to look back on the winter of two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen, and be like, man, we should have pulled the trigger. Yeah, I mean, he's making what? He's making fourteen million bucks this year. Uh, he's got an, uh, a team option for fourteen point seven five next year, which you know that's. I, I don't think that there's any scenario that would happen, barring uh, him literally just getting like a leg severed. Um, that that would that would that would see them not pick that up because that would give him a larger window to rebound and be have trade value, but. You know that's that's a little over. That's right at a million and a half bucks more than the Reds are paying Devin Mezzarocco next year. Um, like that's that's uh, uh, it's a significant amount of money, but it's also just you know he, what he's only he's 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 thirty years old. He's only thirty years old. Uh, he'll be thirty one next year at that rate. And um, you know uh, if if frankly if 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 I was a, a opposing general manager or front office. Uh, uh, individual who was scouting Andrew McCutcheon, my first question would be, um, how long does it take him to grow his hair back out? Um, because <laughs> it's it's hilarious the one for one correlation when he finally cut his hair and his entire game just completely fell off a planet. Um, but yeah, that's that's you know while that's you no know, fourteen point seven five million dollars is obviously not a small contract for any team out there, but for the Pittsburgh Pirates, it's huge. Um, for the Reds, even though it's not that big, like I said, they're paying Mesoraco thirteen point two five million next year, which is well behind what they're paying Homer Bailey. It's well behind what they'll be paying Joey Votto. Um, it's uh, 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 roughly what they're paying the Braves to play Brandon Phillips this year. Um, so it's a, an amount of money that doesn't make him completely untradeable. But at the same point, given their razor thin margins on things, it might be enough for them to look up and say, hey, 
we got to shop him now just to get anything for him, um, which is something that's incredible to say given the fact that he finished, what, first, third, and fifth in three consecutive MVP votings uh, from 13, 14, and 15. So, yeah, that's that's a that's a quick transition to make. But at the same time, it's, it's something I feel that, you know, for a Pirates team that operates on those incredibly quick windows and incredibly small margins, it's something they're going to have. I mean, they've been considering it. Like they've been considering it every day for the last three years, probably, uh, and probably mm-hmm. kicking themselves a little bit now, wishing that they would have pulled the trigger sooner. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of those, you know, 2013, 2014 Reds teams that, you know, had the writing on the wall to get rid of some of these veteran guys that, you know, were about to make a lot of money and were starting the their decline phase of their career and, you know, just didn't was weren't able to pull the triggers you know something or other didn't materialize you know when All-Star when they expected game. it to yeah yeah is, uh-huh. is pittsburgh uh holding on to an all-star game in uh 2019 do we do we know did they get it well, put, put, but, it, put, uh, put it this, put it this way if uh if uh, roughly <laughs> and team control um would the pirates right now take a trade for anthony di scalfani two years ago for what they have at andrew mccutcheon right now which is basically where the Reds cut bait on Matt Latos around the same age. Like, if you asked a lot of Pittsburgh Pirate fans, bloggers, front office individuals, if you could get them on the phone, if you could take 2015 Anthony Scafani for what Andrew McCutcheon is right now, I think a lot of people would be kind of intrigued by that. Um, and that's yeah. kind of where his his value has fallen after its rough 2016 and, and the start to 2017, which, again, is crazy mm. for a guy who could steal 30 bases – win an MVP award, walk 100 times a year, and hit 30 home runs in a ballpark that's not really conducive to hitting home runs. Like that's – that's, but again, that's how quick uh, relative values in this game change. And that's – that's it's shocking kind of to see. But again, when you when you pin a lot of hopes on, on guys like that for a small market team, that's kind of what you get stuck with. And fortunately – Knock on wood. Uh, at least one of the Reds' uh, commitments to those kind of guys has started to pay off. Um, or not started to, but has continued to pay off. Um, yeah. And I, I was going to mention the same thing about them being a small market team. And it's the kind of thing where you can't you can't screw those up. Like, you have to, you know, the windows are so short that you have to get it when it, the getting's good. And then, you know, you need a couple of other things to work out, too. Like, for example, when they, you know, in, uh, you know, the 2013-2014 Pirate, they had Starling Marte come up. He was great. He's, but, you know, Polanco's not that guy. Josh Bell's probably not that guy, you know. You, and just like the, it really does remind me of the Reds, you know, a couple of years before that, where, you know, they they had their big prospect come up and actually produce at the big league level in Jay Bruce, and then, you know, uh, Drew Stubbs not didn't really do it, and uh, you know, so you have to if you're a small market team, you have to hit on prospects and you have to sell at the right time, and you know, it it seems like the Pirates didn't learn from the mistakes that the Reds made there, and you know, well, hopefully from our perspective, that means that they won't be good for a while. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but nothing has screwed the Pirates, you know, two or three or four year window like the one game wild card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's true. And I mean, you, you look up and you realize that uh, prior to last year, you know, they had 
two guys on the roster who were basically making any significant amount of money before they guaranteed the money to Francisco Cervelli. Uh, and one was Neil Walker and one was Andrew McCutcheon. Um, and they chose to trade Neil Walker to the Mets for John Neese. Uh, and that obviously failed miserably and didn't work out. And Nice has been cut since then, or DFA, I guess. Um, and they kept McCutcheon, and McCutcheon's values continue to plummet. So um, you look up, not that Neil Walker's been a world beater since then, but he's at least hit decently well. It was a big part of what the Mets did last year before getting injured. Um, and it's that kind of thing where you look up and say, like, you know, where, where the uh, uh, the Reds have been roundly criticized for, uh, at least from uh, – uh, a certain mouth breathing portion of the Reds fandom uh, for, for keeping Homer Bailey instead of Johnny Cueto, who all of whom forget that they actually kept Johnny Cueto for signing him uh, to an extension for two extra years. They got him there for super cheap for two of his better years there. Uh, but for guaranteeing money long-term to Homer Bailey over Johnny Cueto, uh, you might look up at where the, the, the pirates went wrong uh, was holding on to McCutcheon too long and just basically dumping Neil Walker, who not, you know, not that he was a fantastic player, but he was a player who had a lot of value, who has hit 20 home runs a lot of times, has been a two to three win player every single year. Um, they might have picked the wrong guy to try to sell high on, and they picked the wrong return uh, when they did so. So um, for a team that operates in that that small market uh, ideally, you know, seventy to ninety million dollar payroll. Uh, those are big mistakes that, that 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 they've been faced with, and you know, factor in the uh, Marte and Tyon and and Glasnow struggling. Um, that's that's something that small market teams just simply can't really afford to do these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, heck, you're seeing it with the Reds' rotation right now too. You know, not that they made the wrong decisions. They got a lot of really good prospects in return for guys they traded. But, you know, when when Brandon Finnegan's hurt, John Lamb is hurt and out of the uh, uh, the franchise altogether. Cody Reed struggles. Um, Anthony Scafani's hurt. Like suddenly you've traded Matt Latos and Johnny Cueto and there's nothing to show for it in the rotation right now. Um, you tried to Mike Leak, and there's nothing to show for it in the rotation right now. Um, you know, teams like that struggle to really have – backup plans for what is inherently a backup plan. I mean, built, rebuilding is a backup plan. That's exactly what it is. Right. And when, you, and when your backup plan doesn't work out, if it's hard to factor in a backup to the backup. And that's what the Reds are facing with the rotation. But with the Pirates, it seems like they're facing it all across their roster. And that's something that's going to be really, really tough to overcome. Yeah. <clears throat> you would think this was a Pirates reporter or something. Hey, we got to, we're ahead of somebody in the division. We got to talk shit, right? That's 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 that's, that's, that's <laughs> talking about we can exactly. There's nothing. Exactly. There's nothing better than talking for me than talking shit about exactly. The <laughs> and they, they're, they're probably going to come to my house and hit me with a baseball now. So, well, they were probably aiming at well, the no, house they're... across the street if they asked you, you know. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, well, then they're going to come into Cincinnati, was it next month, and just torch the Reds, and we're going to look like idiots. But yeah, that, that's I do want to say, I, I, as somebody that watched uh, Jameson Tyon play here in Indianapolis, um, you know, obviously we hope we, we hope for yeah, the best for sincere. him and yeah. to get well yeah. soon. No, no, yeah. no, no doubt about no, that. Yeah, not talking shit about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a really unfortunate situation. It's ter- terrible timing for them, but it's obviously a terrible issue for him on a larger scale and something that, um, you know, I asked Chad Bettis out here in Denver, 
uh, with the Rockies has been facing as well with the cancer diagnosis. And that's something that you never wish on anybody of any level. Um, but for the, you know, for, for the casual pirates fan that, that, that almost seems like it's one of those, uh, not the straw that broke the camel's back. It's the, the, the concrete block that fell on the camel after the straw broke its back. And that's, um, yeah. you know, it's it, from, from all, all surrounding perspectives. It's never something that you want to see. It just seems like one of those things that is uh, almost defining of where the pirates are at this point. So I guess, yeah, and, uh, uh, I was going to say, I guess the, yeah, the, 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 the other thing we wanted to talk about was uh, a little bit of waxing on Amir Garrett. Is that right? Is that what we want to jump into real quick? Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely want to talk about um, Amir Garrett and just kind of, uh, a little bit of just how the Reds handled him uh, thus far. So, you know, if you're list, if you're if you're listening and haven't been able to get other Reds news and follow the team, uh, the Reds sent down Amir Garrett on the seventh, and really when he was one of the best players on the in the rotation, if not the best player in the rotation over the first month of the season. And uh, it, w- it was kind of a, you know, the Reds team, the front office sold it as a, we're trying to keep his innings down and, you know, but then they're, they're actually giving him a couple of innings in, in Louisville and it's really, it doesn't seem like it's going to add up to much there, but I think the, the shrewd part about it is that it'll probably be service time related. So uh, let's just kind of go into our thoughts on that. Yeah, so so Garrett threw uh, what in twenty sixteen he threw one hundred and forty four point two innings, uh, in twenty fifteen he threw one hundred and forty point one innings, twenty fourteen one hundred and thirty three. So for three consecutive years he's kind of been in that pigeonholed range of innings he could throw. Uh, that's obviously in part because he was still playing basketball up through twenty thirteen, which meant he wasn't even part of the team or part of his offseason workouts. Uh, for a big bulk of that. So they've been very, very gradual about increasing his workload over that span. Um, you know, of course, he, he he opened the season in the Cincinnati Reds rotation throwing rocks. I mean, he was throwing seven innings each start. He obviously got roughed up once and got left in there kind of due to bullpen considerations and the fact that everybody had been overworked at that point and probably wouldn't have gone as long as he did had they had other options at that time. But still, uh, you know, if you open the season in a, in a big league rotation and you're going to make 31, 32 starts and you're good at all, you're going to throw 180, 190, I guess Dan Straley threw 191 innings last year. Uh, you're going to get a very large jump from that 140-inning range that he's been in for the last three years. So the Reds basically sent him down. Um, it looks like right, – so they optioned him on May 7th. Uh, in theory, it looks like his target start might be back on May 19th since they've announced that Scott Feldman, Bronson Arroyo, and uh, uh, Lisa Verto Bonilla are going to make starts in a three-game series in Wrigley Field against the Cubs, which would pin Garrett back as early as Friday, depending on what Tim Edelman's status is. Um, that would give him 12 days in the minors, which is the exact precise number that you need to basically – added extra year of service time uh, for a minor leaguer or major leaguer because he'll only get 171 days of service time, whereas you need 172 to actually qualify for one full season. So uh, it's, 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 it's interesting to note that uh, obviously the service time issue seems way too good to be true to not be 
you know, just a free coincidence. Um, it's also worth considering that they went ahead and did this now, considering the rest of the Reds rotation is really in tatters. You know, like they 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 could have waited and tried to do this in June. Uh, once Homer Bailey and Anthony Scafani were back and just shut them down for two weeks. Instead, they went ahead and went, did it now when you're leaning on 40-year-old Bronson Arroyo, uh, uh, late signing Scott Feldman, and Liesl Verta Bonilla, who's a 4A guy who's bounced around multiple organizations. Um, normally, you would think that if you had a rock in your rotation and those are the other options you had, you'd lean on the rock in your rotation. Instead, they took the rock and sent him back down to AAA, which – uh, that that screams of more than just innings limits at that point. That seems like they're trying to guarantee that his service issues aren't going to be a bigger problem later in the year, uh, and that they want him back as quickly as possible to help bolster that, which uh, is kind of what it screams like 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 they're trying to do. So, um, but yeah, with Garrett, like it's uh, it's it's obviously uh, uh, if nothing else is an indication that they value. Um, his arm is a future portion of the rotation um, and a big cog of their future because uh, it's not like he's Austin Bryce or, uh, God forbid, Barrett Aston, Barrett Austin, um, who has been shuttled back and forth and just thrown in to mop up duty immediately, which is not what you really do for one of the arms that you think is a prized rotation member going forward. So uh, it, it's an endorsement of Garrett for sure, uh, but it also screams of larger implications than just we're trying to limit his innings. Yeah, and I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know that they would have done it necessarily this past week or two, had it not been favorable in the schedule. I mean, that the two off days there, back to back, kind or you know, in between series or whatever, helped. I'm sure the decision. And at that point, all the way back on May seventh or whatever you said it was, <laughs> rookie Davis was <laughs> still here. Um, Cody, Cody Reed, yeah. He was actually yeah. coming off one of his better starts. Um, and then he went out and, you know, did what he did. But And I, and I like Rookie. I hope he comes back stronger. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I agree. I, I don't think there's any way that you can sugarcoat it to a point to where this the service time issues – there there may be legitimate innings issues to deal with there, but – I'd be it'd be really hard to convince me that this wasn't at least seventy five percent of the service time deal, and then the schedule just kind of presented itself in a way that was like, oh, we can use this time to because we won't, you know, he'll only miss one start in twelve days, which you're not going to find a whole, you know, you're not going to find a whole hell of a lot of weeks in the schedule that that works out that way. Yeah, yeah, I think it's and I, Wick, you brought up a good point too that. You know the. I think the most curious part about it is that they didn't really have the reinforcements when they, you know, at this point, you know, um, why? Yeah, why didn't they wait until the All Star you know, break? Or something, yeah. comes back, or you know, Homer Bailey comes back. I mean, it it sounds like at at the very least we should see one of those guys within the next month or so. Fingers crossed. Uh, maybe at the end of June, but um, yeah, it, it doesn't really seem when you're currently this part of the season, you're really working with a patchwork rotation where, you know, Bronson Arroyo is still here. He's still kicking. And, you know, you have Tim Edelman who, who probably shouldn't be your rock in the rotation right now, but that's kind of where he finds himself while he's been healthy. 
Um, yeah, it, it just kind of seemed like a curious move to me. I, I definitely am okay with it happening at some point this year just to get the extra year of service time. I, I, it sounds like Amir is on board with it. It doesn't seem like he was, you know, pissed about getting sent down or anything like that. Or if he, if he was, he didn't, you know, go to, come to the media with it. I think, you know, this is a pretty tight-knit group of guys that, you know, everyone kind of knows where they are and knows where everything is right now with this rebuild. I don't think uh, you have any delusion there. So, you know, hopefully, uh, but hopefully he comes back soon and uh, can pick up right where he left off. Yeah. You know, I, I've mentioned yeah, that I mentioned he, before that, like, uh, you know, Garrett's 25 this year. He's not like a, he's a 21, 22-year-old. He's not Homer Bailey coming up, uh, you know, super early. Mm-hmm. He's not Doc Gooden at 19. He's he's 25 this year. So uh, for the Reds to, to, to buy him an extra year, that basically means they're they're buying his age thirty one season, and you know not not to not to pigeonhole him into not being good enough to still be uh, in the Reds' plans by thirty one. But we just finished talking about Andrew McCutcheon going from MVP to can't be traded, and he's thirty. So uh, you know service clock issues are something that you want to you want to make sure you maximize on every possible occasion. But you reach a breaking point where. Uh, maybe the now is a little bit more valuable than the ability to have the future uh, because it's not just his age 31 year, but if he's good enough to still be part of the plans for age 31, he's going to be making a shit ton of money at age 31, if that's the case. And for the Reds, that's a good thing. That means he's been really, really good for the next five, six years. So, you know, it's a blessing and a curse in that regard, so f- to manipulate it for just 12 days, it, it makes sense on paper to an extent, uh, but I feel like that's also something that you focus more on guys like Jose Peraza, who come up at age 21, uh, because then you're talking about their age 27, 28 years, not their age 31, 32 years. Um, and, and, and again, you're try- it's them trying to keep payroll down, but the only way that ever becomes a factor is if the guy that you think is good right now turns out to be as good as you hope he is. Uh, and and that's the only way that this would ever turn into being a, a, a future problem for the Reds for a guy who's Amir Garrett's age. But uh, in reality, I, there's the, the, the one issue that I, I, I want to focus on. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the intention, but it's one that you know kind of caught my eye a little bit, which is if the Reds are trying to limit innings legitimately in the middle of the year – and if they skip him a start and they start him two innings instead of six or seven in the minors, which is what he did, they might save 11, 12, 13 innings, something like that. Um, if this is a move because they want him to still be able to pitch in late August, early September, when games matter in theory a lot more than they do right now, that's also kind of telling too. Uh, not trying to say Amir Garrett is Steven Strasburg either in hype or in performance. But I will never forget looking up and seeing that uh, uh, that 2012 Washington Nationals team that was 98 wins and on path to do everything possible to win a World Series championship and shutting down their best pitcher because he was young and he had reached his quote-unquote innings limit and not pitching him in the playoffs, not pitching him in games that matter. And so um, for the Reds, yeah, service clock issues matter. But it's also kind of telling the saying, hey, we're doing it now instead of just shutting him down later. Uh, because maybe they want to be able to manage that for later on down the road. 
I don't know, but it's uh, it's an interesting strategy nonetheless. Yeah, I think I remember actually reading something from Citron or Zach that Price touched on it a little bit. I mean, he didn't go in depth about it, but he kind of mentioned that they'd rather do it now while the schedule is favorable and then get to September and say, ah, we have to move this guy to the bullpen or whatever. And they didn't want to necessarily do that if they didn't have to. Now, you know, whether or not 11 innings in May is going to prevent that from happening, you know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And, and that's, and that's a very interesting point that I hadn't really given a lot of thought to just because I don't know, I don't know if I don't want to jinx it or, or what, but you know, it's May 15th and Play, playoffs, baby. I don't, Woo. Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily want to, and it's very, I mean, with the way they've been playing, that's very, you know, that's, it's, yeah, I mean, the, we've already, we've seen people around here locally already kind of talking them up, talking up the hype and getting the expectations up to, you know, 2012, 2013 levels. It's already starting here. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and, and I haven't given a lot of thought to that. And it's actually, that's pretty cool you know i mean to think that like hey you know the management itself to be like yeah like looking at you know and and they have more intel on the rest of the league as well to say like you know they're looking at the brewers or the pirates or you know seeing the mets be terrible and um and stuff like that and they're like you know hey like we've got the horses to get like to sneak into this wild card conversation you know Mm. so that's i mean that, that that would be pretty cool the where I came down on it was he got sent down after an awesome start in a year that seems like it has the potential to matter, but they've said all along, or you know they haven't come out and explicitly said like we don't care about winning in 2017. But you know Dick Williams has been asked about it, and he you know they and are uh, in the Castellinis, and they've said like we think we're going to be competitive again in 2018. So it was kind of telling to me that they sent down and not arguably their best starter, but absolutely their yeah. best starter. They sent him down after a great start to, you know, quote unquote, limit his innings or, you know, even if it is the service time thing to say, Hey, we're going to push this a year down the road because we expect to be better then than we are now. That's sticking yeah. to your plan. And that's not something that we would have seen. Necess- doesn't seem like that's something we would have seen with the previous, administration and I like Jock I like Walt Jockety like I think he did a lot of very good things for the Reds and made a lot of shrewd moves that allowed us to enjoy the 2010 through 2014 until the all-star break Reds but it doesn't seem like it would have been something that we would have seen with that administration whereas this is Dick Williams saying we're sticking to the plan and we won't we want this on the back end rather than right now because this wasn't the year or shouldn't be the year. If it happens to be the year, great, but we're going to do this in May. And if it happens to work out in yeah. September, then great. But yeah, that, 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 that's exactly what it screams to me, which is, Hey, who knows if this season's actually going to materialize, but if it does, let's get rid of Garrett's issues now. And, and that means we don't have to worry about them later if they crop up. Um, it's not going to, it's not detrimental to 2018, 2019, 2020, if we do that. Uh, but it might be detrimental to 2017 if we don't do it. And, and so I think given where the expectation level was for the entire window and for this year, it was a no brainer to sit them down and get that out of the way. If that's something that was really a big deal to them. 
Um, and I think the service clock issues might have been secondary uh, with the innings on top of that. But either way, you know, even if the Reds don't make the playoffs and don't turn this into anything more than a uh, uh, an 82-80 and 80 season, if having Amir Garrett pitch games in September and in late August while the Reds are third place in the division and going 82-80, and 80, uh, that put – put it this way. The momentum the Reds have gained right now doesn't need Amir Garrett to have the excitement around it. But to maintain going 82-80 and 80 later in the year, they might need Amir Garrett desperately at that point in time to maintain interest and to maintain momentum going into next year. And I think that might be the ultimate kind of reasoning behind this, which is, hey, let's buy the kids some breathers and let's get them some innings later in the season to make people show up, to make people pay attention. And if he's still as good then as he is now, that's late season momentum going into next year that we're really going to capitalize on. Well said. Well said. Well, with that, um, I think we're almost at an hour, so I think uh, we're going to wrap this up. So uh, make sure to um, visit us on the web at Red Reporter on Twitter, uh, redreporter.com. Read uh, read our stuff. And uh, we will see you next week.